Chapter Thirty of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter Thirty by Thomas W. Knox. The Beggars of New York. Tramps, cheats, humbugs, and frauds, interesting personal experiences, victims from the country. It is estimated that nearly 6,000 beggars live and thrive in New York City. It is not strange, therefore, that among this vast number of professional loafers there should be found some whose methods of extorting money are unique some of them make from twenty-five to sixty dollars a week and not a few of them are so well known as to furnish a topic of conversation among those who talk over the strange life to be seen in city streets the charity organization society recently issued a circular warning the public against professional beggars adventurers and other undeserving persons who obtain money by imposing upon the credulity of the charitable even ordinary street begging is apparently more profitable than honest labor the great city is a home for a good or bad number of tramps and an occasional refuge for many more with the advent of summer the tramp who has passed the winter in the city hies to the rural regions he is in search of occupation which he never finds in summer he wants a job at ice-cutting and in winter he desires work in a hay-field or a market-garden whatever employment he seeks is sure to be out of season and as he is unable to live by honest labor he makes up for the deficiency by begging or stealing the winter occupation of the circulating or tourist tramp is much like that of the permanent city tramp whose sustenance is obtained by begging or fraud he haunts the sidewalk especially at night and pours a tale of woe into every ear that will listen the ordinary tale will not be heard or heeded and his ingenuity is severely taxed to invent something that will extract cash from the pocket of his listener some of the tramps tricks are worthy of record as they display a genius that would secure a comfortable existence in respectable callings and not unlikely would bring a fortune to its possessors about nine o'clock one night i was accosted by a man with a strong scotch accent who asked if i would kindly favor him with a direction as he was a stranger in the city as i paused to listen he said can you give me the name of any scotch benevolent society i regretted my inability to do so and referred him to the city directory which might be consulted at any hotel or drug store i've looked in the directory sir he answered but can't find it there's the st george's society but that isn't open at this hour mr bedall is president of it and the office is downtown i can't give you information as to any other scottish society said i these associations are things i don't know much about and your best plan will be to ask at the nearest police station i've been there was the prompt answer but cannot find anything about them i am a glass engraver and landed in new york a week ago today from glasgow i have been looking for work and am promised a place day after tomorrow 
excuse my saying anything about it sir but the fact is i've spent all my money and i want to find the scottish benevolent society so that i can get lodgings and something to eat till i find work he didn't ask me for any money or anything else but the appeal was very direct though contrary to a rule i had long before made not to give money to applicants on the streets i gave the fellow a quarter to pay for his lodging and as he had eaten nothing so he said since morning i accompanied him to a neighboring restaurant and gave another twenty-five cents to the proprietor to pay for the stranger's supper six or eight months later i was accosted by the same man in exactly the same words not more than three or four blocks from the scene of my first meeting with him i led him on and he told precisely the same story as before with the exception that instead of being a glass engraver he was now a printer he had even come from glasgow a week ago to-day just as in the first instance how long did you stay in america when you first came i asked when his story was ended i never was in america before he answered in a tone of astonishment i landed in new york a week ago to-day for the first time now my friend said i your yarn is altogether too transparent six months ago you were a glass engraver landed just a week seeking for work out of money promised work day after to-morrow and hunting a scottish benevolent society to care for you in the meantime you are the same man story voice scotch accent size height dress and everything here officer i said as i beckoned over his shoulder to an imaginary policeman run this man in the fellow did not wait to be run in by the officer he ran himself at a speed that would have done credit to a racehorse and that was the last i ever saw of him he probably made a mental photograph of me so that he should not repeat his mistake that evening at the club i told the story of my adventure and how i had been defrauded by this very plausible invention of a tramp six members of the club listened to me and when i ended no fewer than three of them acknowledged having been defrauded by the same fellow within the past month and two of them only the evening before and within ten minutes of each other the city man may think he is sharper than his cousin in the country but he is just as likely to be taken in the only difference is that the tale that will catch the city man must be more elaborately constructed than for the rural districts that's all some years ago i was called upon by a man who said his surname was the same as mine and he wanted to know if i knew of one darius p knox a resident of new york i confessed that i did not know darius and had never heard of him then the stranger asked if i was a native of the city and if not what state of the union i came from when i told him he said he was from the same state but from a part of it nearly a hundred miles from my birthplace our families must be related he thought though perhaps not very closely i admitted the possibility and suspecting that he might be after a loan on account of relationship i suggested that a man in the city was not supposed to have any relatives anywhere as his life depended pretty much on himself 
he parried this idea by explaining that he had just come from a western state where he had been living for twenty years he was on his way to the home of his boyhood and the darius p knox for whom he asked was a cousin with whom he went to school and who came to new york many years ago about the time the speaker sought fortune in the west he was a clerk in a dry goods house darius was said my visitor and has been a partner in it for ten or twelve years the last i heard of him he was in worth street number blank but when i went there to-day i could not hear about him and the store is occupied by a new firm that moved in last year the man i saw said he did not know who the previous tenants were and he didn't care i suppose that's the way in a great city like this yes i said that's very much the way of the city we care very little who are our next-door neighbors as long as they do not disturb us and we may live in adjoining houses for years and years and never become acquainted many a business firm doesn't know who were the previous occupants of their premises and some don't wish to know when i paused he referred again to the darius whose name was not in the directory he had thought the best plan would be to look up a few individuals of the same surname and thus he might find someone who knew his missing relative the fact is he said with a considerable show of reluctance i stopped at niagara falls and two or three other places on my way east and did not count the cost carefully when i started i had ample funds to take me to my old home but on arriving in new york this morning i found i had only a dollar left and i spent that for breakfast and dinner i didn't feel uneasy as i knew cousin darius would let me have all the money i needed now that i can't find him i am placed in a most embarrassing position and hardly know what to do i shall have to walk as far as boston where my brother john is in the hardware business good-bye he said with a perceptible tremor in his voice good-bye i responded and saw him to the door sorry to have troubled you he added but i won't trouble you any longer i can get to new rochelle by night sleep in a shed or barn and make boston in about ten days Goodbye again. He was off, and hadn't asked for a loan or even hinted at anything of the kind. My money burned in my pocket, and whatever conscience I had rose in my throat. I called back my kinsman, loaned him three dollars for a deck passage by steamer to Boston. He suggested that a deck passage was all that he needed, and I felt happier he noted my address very carefully and said he would remit the three dollars as soon as he met his brother john as for thanks he covered me with them an inch thick and said he would always remember me for my trusting kindness evidently he has remembered me he kept the three dollars as a souvenir to enable him to do so years have elapsed but i have never received the money nor have i ever had a scrap of paper acknowledging it but i have heard of the fellow a dozen yes twenty times and each time he has played the same game on someone else 
his surname is always that of his victim jones smith barney anything in fact that enables him to suggest a relationship and give an excuse for calling on somebody in the hope of learning the whereabouts of his long-lost cousin the story is always the same and the money requisite to get him to his destination is from three to five dollars he was born in more places than the poet homer but unhappily he has not died in any of them the foregoing are samples of the tricks of the male tramp but this kind of dishonesty is not confined to men women are adepts in it and some of their devices are ingenious an old woman with a shabby genteel air used to stand on the corner of broadway and twenty-third street at their intersection with fifth avenue please tell me how i can get to the forty-second street ferry she would say to a passer-by the route would be indicated and the car which would carry her there pointed out then she would timidly ask how much is the fare five cents madam would be the reply oh i'll have to walk i've lost my pocket-book somebody must have stolen it the suggestion naturally resulted in awakening the sympathy of the listener who contributed the necessary five cents and moved on the nickel was dropped into a capacious pocket and in two or three minutes after the victim was safely out of sight the query would be repeated and another five cents secured in the same way for the sake of variety she changed her alleged destination at every third or fourth inquiry and for some weeks she reaped quite a harvest she made the mistake of accosting the same person two days in succession the police were put on her track and she spent a season on blackwell's island as the result of her money-making experiment but as long as she was undisturbed she managed to earn three or four dollars a day another kind of feminine tramp is an irish or german woman who pretends to be unable to read and thrusts a slip of paper into your hand with a request that you will read the address upon it and tell her how to reach it the place is generally three or four miles away and when the line of communication is indicated she wishes to know how she can go there on foot as she is out of money and must walk the sequel is obvious i once watched from behind a tree in madison square a woman who had an address for harlem five miles away and saw her obtain her car fare five cents four times in succession within twenty minutes there is another class called gentlemen tramps men who were once respectable and in good circumstances whose downfall has been gradual and who grow more and more seedy in appearance every year some of them make a pretense of desiring work and they are always going somewhere to answer an advertisement or to make an inquiry but incidentally they are on the outlook for alms one of these men a tall and rather military-looking personage about fifty years of age with a white moustache and a head of curly white hair has a regular route over which he has tramped and begged for years he once filled a responsible position in a famous dry-goods house there is a pretense of blacking on what remains of his boots and there is an air of ostentatious but fictitious neatness in his attire 
he does not approach people promiscuously but singles out his victims with great sagacity and care usually selecting elderly ladies never under any circumstances attempting to beg from a man he walks beside his victim for some distance looks pitifully at her and at last he takes off his hat approaches humbly and plaintively pours out his tale of woe his story is listened to courteously and is so effectively told that the listener generally opens her purse and contributes to the tramp's relief his polite manifestation of gratitude is extreme and he succeeds regularly in getting contributions from the same victims many times over at one time a fellow made a good revenue by a shrewd trick of putting a crust of bread the core of an apple or some similar dainty on the sidewalk or a doorstep generally the latter on some of the side streets leading out of fifth avenue then he would go a hundred feet or so along the street and when he saw a well-dressed person of either sex he walked just a little in advance with his eyes eagerly scanning the sidewalk and doorsteps suddenly espying the crust or apple core he rushed to secure it and crunched it between his teeth with the manner of a man nearly famished his movements were sure to attract attention and if the spectator was at all benevolent and unsuspecting the performance was sure to be rewarded no man or woman of the least susceptibility could allow a human being to be so near starvation he kept the business up for years of late i have not seen him and presume he has retired with a competence the reward of his industry and genius combined he always dressed in clothing too small for him the trousers being fully two inches too short for his nether limbs and the coat buttoned so closely that it threatened to burst the garments were threadbare but always clean and altogether his make-up was well adapted to his scheme and his acting was admirable quite recently when a fulton ferry-boat from brooklyn had reached midstream a tall stout man who sat near the door in the ladies cabin suddenly arose and began an address in a deep bass voice ladies and gentlemen he said i have a wife and children at thirty-seven marion street and there has not been a morsel of bread in the house for two days i am weak and unable to work for five weeks i was in bellevue hospital with a crushed leg you can see for yourselves the man painfully pulled up his right trouser leg and exhibited a muscular calf bound with a new linen bandage from the ankle to the swelling muscle then he painfully straightened himself up and drew his hands across his moistened eyes several times and said with great agitation any lady or gentleman who wants to investigate i will give them my name and address his face was seemingly that of an honest man he was unshaven but he did not have a dissipated appearance his clothing was old worn and faded but not tattered several of the passengers gave him money as they passed out of the cabin a gentleman asked him what his name was william h smith sir he promptly replied i live at thirty-seven marion street the gentleman proceeded at once to thirty-seven marion street 
it was a small wooden house a man who said his name was lavery opened the door and said his was the only family living in the house and he indignantly denied all knowledge of any destitute w h smith in the neighborhood unquestionably william was an unmitigated fraud another man goes about from office to office in the lower part of the city and in a very hesitating and shamefaced manner his eyes glued to the floor for the greater part of the time he confesses to having been in prison for six months or possibly a year and has just been released the crime for which he was sentenced was breaking a baker's window and stealing a loaf of bread for his children when they were nearly dying of hunger he wants to lead a better life and in order to do so he must leave the city he will go to the country and find employment as a farm-hand and in that new life he will be able to become an honest man as he will be free from temptation he has no money to pay his fare and meekly suggests that perhaps the listener knows some railway official who will give him a pass to his destination generally mentioning some place easily reached from new york the story is well told and very often succeeds in extracting a small sum twenty-five to fifty cents from the pocket of the listener the alleged prison bird has never been under lock and key at all however much he deserves to have been and his narrative is altogether a pleasing fiction he does not go to the country nor does he intend to go there he has found that the prison and reform story is a very good one for his purpose and he lives by it on one occasion however he came to grief and this was the way of it he was one day working an office where there happened to be calling a gentleman who had heard his tale and contributed to his travelling expenses two or three days before from behind a screen the visitor recognized the voice and the story and managed to hint to the tenant of the office to detain the fellow a few minutes the visitor slipped out another way and soon returned with a brawny irishman who was in his employ and was to go that very afternoon to new haven by boat on the way back he gave the irishman his orders on reaching the presence of the reforming convict who had professed his willingness to go anywhere if he could only get a pass or money enough to buy a ticket the gentleman said pat take this gentleman along with you to new haven he wants to go there oh i won't trouble you said the gentleman it will be too much bother for you and i can go just as well by myself no bother at all was the reply on the contrary it's a great pleasure take him along pat or you'll be late for your boat if he doesn't go quietly let your boat go and hand him over to the police pat obeyed orders and the fellow was landed in new haven much against his will but he soon brought himself back again to new york no doubt he was homesick for the great city and its resources but forever afterwards he shunned the vicinity of the office where he fell into the trap just described one of the worst professional beats is the californian with the wooden leg 
his costume usually consists of a closely buttoned coat and trousers very wide at the bottom a little black silk necktie is knotted sailor fashion in his shirt collar a soft hat with about a three-inch brim is worn carelessly on his head he leans heavily on a cane and walks with a decided limp he never speaks to anybody who is not looking into a store window approaching his victim he says in a soft drawling voice excuse me sir but are you a stranger in the city and no matter what the answer may be he continues i am here from california and i have got a wooden leg then with his cane he somewhat vigorously taps the wooden leg to prove its genuineness and i've been walking around all night and all day on it and haven't got any money and if you could loan me a small amount to enable me to obtain a night's lodging and a supper i shall be greatly obliged to you and if you will give me your address when my sister sends me money i will return it to you if questions are asked he will produce letters to prove his identity and then will tell how he lost his leg by being bitten by a rattlesnake in nebraska on his way east and show that he came further east to get better surgical assistance and finally lost almost all of his limb and has had hard luck ever since he left the hospital although everything about him indicates that he is what he claims to be he is a fraud he has not lost his leg at all a piece of board tied to his leg sounds very wooden when wrapped with his cane he usually selects persons who look like strangers and that is the reason why he always speaks to those who look into store windows he has boasted of collecting five dollars a day the snake dodge seems to be quite popular not long ago a colored man was in the habit of hobbling along sixth avenue and fourteenth street with a small snake-skin in one hand a cigar-box to contain contributions in the other and a card on his breast containing the following announcement friends this is a rattlesnake which had caused me to lose my leg i was bit by him in the dismal swamps of virginia i have him here on exhibition asking you all for a little help to get an artificial leg john Rowe. when taken into custody he demanded a pistol that he might not survive the disgrace of his arrest he said that on losing his leg in the manner mentioned his neighbors in virginia raised money to send him to new york to get a cork leg by begging he is believed to have raised enough to have bought many legs for the cigar box he carried was full of coin when he was arrested as he had been repeatedly warned he was sent to the island for three months many businessmen within a mile of the post office are familiar with old auntie auntie believes that it is better to laugh than be sighing and so she does not descend to the common whining tricks of the ordinary street beggar she walks into offices and her queer little nutcracker face breaks into smiling wrinkles under the frill of her old-fashioned cap she drops a little curtsy holds out her skinny hand and says god bless you dearie and when the usual scent is forthcoming she closes her withered fingers on it wishes the giver many blessings and walks out to visit the next man 
rain or shine morning and night old auntie walks around from one office to another and collects toll everywhere there are many men who are superstitious enough to believe that if they meet auntie in her old calico gown her little plaid shawl and white cap early in the day give her a penny and get in return one of those smiles which breaks her quaint face into many seams success will go with them for the balance of the twenty-four hours old auntie's name is connors and she lives in two rooms at the top of a tenement house in rutgers street and all the money she gets over and above that needed for her simple wants finds its way across the sea to the old sod and lightens the hardships of some of her numberless relatives there how much she receives in a day is purely a matter of conjecture but three or four dollars would not be an excessive guess a blind man is considered by nearly every one a proper object for charity but many of them are frauds of the worst kind the tin signs hanging across their breasts narrating harrowing stories of misfortune are often gotten up for the occasion and are sometimes painted on both sides thus giving the beggar two tales to help him along he displays the side that he thinks will prove the most effective in the locality he happens to be in a sandy moustached blind man who sings plaintive airs all over town has his father as a confederate the father loiters in a convenient saloon in the neighborhood while the son sings superintendent hebbard of the charity organization society recently found father and son doing a thriving business one saturday night and followed them when after stopping at several saloons on the way for refreshments they took an elevated railway train for their home in twenty-fifth street on the way the son counted the contents of his pocket and handing them to his father said there's nine dollars and fifty-seven cents pretty good for one day's work ain't it popper the pair got off at twenty-third street and visited two saloons where they paid an old score as well as drank the next time he caught the blind man he threatened him with arrest unless he stopped begging and cut short his answering protestations that he was starving by telling him what he had overheard when he counted his day's receipts in the elevated railway train the impudent beggar was disconcerted at this and in a desire to be funny gave himself quite away by the remark that nine dollars and fifty cents wasn't all i made i knocked down a dollar on the old man the foregoing are only a few examples of numerous frauds that are often perpetrated upon old residents of the city there are many more whose special object is the fleecing of country men either while they are visiting the metropolis or by corresponding with them the name of these frauds is legion and the aggregate amount of their revenues is very great an old trick that has been exposed in the newspapers time and again but which is nevertheless often and successfully played is to accost the stranger as if mistaking him for somebody else and during the conversation ascertain his name residence and business these are quickly communicated to a confederate who meets the stranger a block or two further on having kept him steadily in sight and promptly recognizes him 
perhaps i can best describe the methods of this class of swindlers who are known as bunco men or bunco steerers by giving my own experience i returned to new york one morning by one of the boston boats and was walking towards broadway with satchel in hand when my hand was suddenly grasped by a man who displayed all the fervor of an old friend how do you do mr johnson said he i am very glad to see you you've made a mistake sir i answered my name isn't johnson what isn't this mr johnson of syracuse to whom i sold a bill of goods at our house blank blank and company naming one of the leading dry goods houses i assured him i was not mr johnson at all and the fellow humbly begged a thousand pardons adding that i resembled his friend so closely that he had made a very natural mistake then eyeing me curiously as if he could hardly believe i was not mr johnson he asked my name and i frankly told him i was mr wallace from concord new hampshire and that i was in the hardware business he apologized again and went on adding before he left me that mr johnson was a leading citizen of syracuse and in fact one of the prominent men of the western half of the state of new york i could be proud to have been mistaken for him and proud i certainly was before i reached broadway another man rushed at me with the same friendly manner and warmly grasping my hand greeted me as mr wallace of concord new hampshire he was mr blank of the hardware house of blank and blank a leading one in the city and remembered my last visit was i satisfied with the goods i then bought of course i was and would again honor the firm with my patronage he rattled on at a great rate proposed that i should breakfast with him before going to the hotel and i accepted then he wanted me to step down a side street a few steps wouldn't take five minutes to look at a picture he had just bought as a present for his aunt he knew i had excellent taste in art and wanted my opinion by this time we had reached broadway and as i was in a hurry to get home i brought the comedy to an end by asking if he had happened to meet my old friend johnson of syracuse lately he did not stop long enough to make an answer had i gone with the scoundrel to see the picture i should have found myself in a pretense of a shop far enough removed from the street to prevent my escaping easily then my money would have been taken from me by apparently fair means if possible such as inducing me to buy something that was going very cheap to lend to my new-found friend or one of his confederates bet upon a lottery or other game or do something that would relieve them from the charge of robbery by violence but if all these methods had failed they would have risked the more serious matter rather than let me leave the house unplucked bunco men do not confine their operations to new york city they often make tours throughout the country visiting other cities and plying their vocation at every opportunity many a farmer has been victimized by them and learned by sad experience that a bunco man is a smooth and crafty villain End of chapter 30